What's up, everybody? I hope you're doing great and just having a wonderful day. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in online, thank you so much for watching and worshiping with us. You are part of us, and I hope that you feel God's presence. And I know it just is continue, it continues to amaze me that we feel the Lord and His presence, and we continue to worship Him and honor Him. Uh, regardless of what's going on in your life, we can have that opportunity to pursue after Him. And I'm really excited because we're going to start out on a new series uh, this week, and we're going to dive into the book of James. Uh, this is really important for us as a church. We really lay out all the series over, over the course of you know, the spring and the summer and the fall and what God has for us. And if you've been coming over the last several weeks, you know that we were doing a series called How to Study the Bible. So for us, it makes, very, it makes big sense, and it's really obvious that we should study a book of the Bible. So over these next several weeks, we're going to be diving in deep to the book of James and taking a look at what God has for us in that letter. And so if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, James is towards the back of the New Testament. It's actually a letter that the apostle James writes. And if you, if you don't know who James was, James was actually the half-brother ha, half of Jesus, uh, so, you know, when you know, understand Jesus, God is Jesus' dad, and Mary is his mom, but so Mary and Joseph, they also had other children. So James was one of those kids. So he grew up with Jesus. Jesus was his older half-brother. But the thing that was really interesting about James is he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah for a really long time. I and mean, he grew up with him, you know, played with him in the yard, probably did Legos and dinosaurs, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and James also probably watched Jesus perform miracles, signs and wonders, healings, you know, experienced all that. And so, but his conversion didn't happen right away. It wasn't actually till after the resurrection of his half-brother that he said, wow, he truly is the Messiah. And, you know, that's interesting to, to see and to understand because our, all of our stories are different, isn't it? You know, all of our stories, we come to know the Lord in the way that he designed for us as we follow after him. And so some of us, it was at a younger age. Some of us, maybe it was in our 20s or 30s, you know, and, and so, man, whatever your story is, God has that timing laid out for us, and we get to understand that. And so when you understand James, James and who he is as the brother, even though he didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, when he did, he was full on, like full on committed, all in. And so James's text in this letter, these, this whole chap, these five chapters are extremely just condensed full of information and challenge. It's very pragmatic. It's, it's something that, that we need to look at and be encouraged by, but just recognize that it's so strong in how he communicates because he's writing to a church that is under significant persecution. In the first century, Romans were ruling in Israel and, and the, the Christian church was under major persecutions. Not only just torture and beatings, but murder and, and martyrs. And, you know, it just was so, such a big deal, so hard for them to be a Christian. But yet they knew, they understood who the Lord was and they were following him regardless. So they, like when they met together for church, they had to really do it in secret uh, and, 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 you know, and be very quiet about it. And so even certain parts, they weren't meeting together any longer. So James was writing to basically a church that's dispersed. Among, you know, outside of the city and in the region. But he says, hey, we're dealing with this persecution, but we've got to have this call to action. And so he just lays out these practical steps and the reality that our faith should not be just heard. And so when I say that, many of us, if you, if you follow Christ, you go, our, our faith shouldn't just be heard. Like we should have action with our faith and we should, you know, be serving others and showing Christ's love. We go, yeah. Like, I get it, and we, many of us are totally okay with that, but here's what I want to encourage you with as well, that I also feel like our faith should be heard, uh, because I actually feel that in the American church, we've gone silent. Uh, we go, oh, I just, I want to do things for the Lord and serve my neighbor, and do, and, and, but yet we've now allowed fear to take over our vocal cords and not allow us to say Jesus' name to other people or tell them why it is that we're doing the things that we're doing. So I just want to challenge you that our, I feel like our faith should be heard along with seen. And now I'm telling you, like, don't be obnoxious, okay? I'm not saying you got to be a Bible thumper, carry your Bible around and beat people upside the head. You see them doing stupid stuff, like, you're stupid. Jesus thinks you're stupid. Like, and you're like that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm just saying, be willing to talk to other people about Jesus. And so let me just give you an example of that. Uh, just this past week, 
You know, I've, I've, I've been dealing with some things with the building. The building project's going amazing. We literally are looking at weeks and less than a month, you know, for it to be done. And, and we're, just FYI, we're looking at potentially uh, July 1st, to, or, I'm sorry, July 11th to be uh, our first date in there, our first Sunday. So just amazing things taking place. Uh, incredible. Um, and so that is a possible date, so don't like write that down, but we'll, we'll give you more information you know, as it moves forward. But I was talking with one of the guys, you know, and, and we were having to make some significant decisions because the building project's coming to an end, and so they're going, all right, Pastor Aaron, this is, you know, what about this? What about that? Do you want to do this? And so we're making decisions, and, and there was a big one that we were having to deal with, and, and I was talking to one of the guys who's a little bit higher up in the construction company, and I just, I told him, I said, man, you know, I really think this, and I think that. What do you think? Because I always ask other people's opinion, and he shared with me, and I, I just, I saw this as an opportunity. And so I just simply said, you know, when I'm really needing to make a decision, I seek the Lord. You know, I seek him, I seek his wisdom. Sometimes I'll take a look at Proverbs, because Pro- and I just simply said that Proverbs is a book that talks about all these wise sayings and, and, and wisdom that the Lord gives to us to help us, and, and I pray. Like, when I needed to make a decision, I pray, and so we prayed. Like, I mean, this is a dude that does not know Jesus, and I'm like, you know what, we, we, just, we just really need to pray. Like, so I need God's wisdom, and, and so if you would do me a favor right now in this message... We're going to pray. And so, God, right now we come before you. And, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your wisdom. God, I ask that you would give wisdom right now to every single person here in the auditorium, those that are watching online, those of us that are making decisions. Lord, would you grant us the ability to understand what it is you have for us. And, God, as we dive down deep into your book of James, this letter written by this apostle, written by this man, inspired by you, Lord, would you communicate through your Holy Spirit what you have for us. In this time, speak through me, communicate your truth, in Jesus' name, amen. So it's faith, it's action, it's our words. And so today we're going to focus on the first section in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, open up to the book of James. We'll have the verses on the screen. If you have your Bible app, go ahead and click on that. Uh, But today we're going to focus on trials and and temptations. Like how many of you be willing to put your hand up and say, I've had some difficulties recently? How many of you have had some challenges, some trials, some struggles? Yeah, so many hands, so many of us, we get it. And so here's what I want to tell you. The first thing, if we don't quit, we win. Like I don't know about you, but I'm a winner. Like I want to win. I'm a competitive person. And so we'll face challenges all the time. If we don't quit, we win. And so what that talks about is that talks about our determination, That talks about our perseverance in pushing through the struggle. So if we continue to do that, at the end, we get to experience the Lord's glory and who he is and and revel in him. And and so one of the things that I try and do as a dad is I try and raise my sons, you know, in, in a godly Christian home and to teach them to be godly men. So with that, I also teach them about determination because sometimes we got to have a little bit of grit. I mean, come on, let's be honest. we got to have a little bit of grit, a little bit of intestinal fortitude in ourselves. And so one of the things that we Olinskis say is we say that we're tough as nails. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. But I, like, I'll literally say, I'm like, Olinskis are tough as nails. We push through. We figure out how to, how to deliver. And we find a way. And so what that is, is that's just talking about who we are as people. And so we're a little bit of a sports family. So I talked to my sons about when the game's on the line and you're the one that has that opportunity, we're clutch. Like, so we're tough as nails. We, regardless of the situation, we find a way to push through. And so I want to share with you James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. opportunity. It's an opportunity for great joy, for you will know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so trials are things that happen to us, right? Isn't that the reality? You maybe are facing a trial right now, a struggle, something that you're having to work through. Just some simple examples would be maybe it's your health. Right? Maybe something in your health or a family member, their health, it's a trial, it's, it's physical, and you're, you're having to deal with that. Or, or maybe you're, you're walking through a financial struggle right now. You're trying to figure out what to do and, and order your finances and budget and that kind of thing. Or maybe if you're, if you're married, maybe just you're working through a marital struggle right now. You're in some conflict. You're trying to figure out how to communicate to each other and, 
Or maybe if you're a parent, it's, it's your parenting. You know, depending on the age of your kids, you're trying to, what, what's this? How do I get them to eat broccoli? You know, it's just like there's a trial in that. Or maybe it's work-related. You know, for us as people, we work and, and we're employed. You know, maybe you, you work from home, you work remote, maybe you're on site, you know, and so maybe there's struggles that you're dealing with at work. And so here's what we've got to recognize in that, is that God uses those trials to mature us as people. And so what we've got to do, though, is if God is using that situation, we have to take on God's perspective of that situation. So I just want to encourage you, whatever trial or struggle you're facing right now, what if you decided to look at it through the lens of our Heavenly Father? Because then I believe when we do that, we can actually see, oh, wow, God, you're trying to do something in me. I'm mad at my boss, but God, you're trying to show me something in this situation. So the Lord is saying in this text that we've got to have the right attitude. He's saying you have an opportunity to have the right attitude. Because we don't pick the trial, do we? It happens to us. But how we respond, the perspective that we take, we absolutely do choose that. And that's under our own control, the thoughts that we have, the things that come out of our mouth. Because James used a, a really interesting word, and it's the word consider. So we've got to consider what's our perspective, what's our right attitude. I can be mad. I can be angry and frustrated. There's nothing wrong with that. That's human. I'm emotional. But I can also choose to have joy despite that struggle. And so tests and trials, they're challenging our faith so that our faith and our maturity in the Lord has this incredible opportunity to grow. And the way that God does that is through endurance. And so you're going to have not only the struggle you have right now, but in some point in time, you'll have another struggle, and then another one after that. And sometimes, if you're lucky, you have four at the same time, you know? It's, that's just reality. And so God's doing something big. If you're facing significant things right now, I go, I go health, finances, marriage, parenting, work, and you go, yep, 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 and yep. Man, I'll tell you what, God's doing big things in you right now. And so I just want to encourage you, don't, don't quit, because if you don't quit, you win, because what that is, is that's the pruning process. That's the, you know, he's trimming you back and trimming you down. Why? So that you can see more growth. So James says in chapter 1, continuing to verse 4, he says, So let it grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And that's amazing for you and I to have this incredible contentment where we're trusting the Lord's process of what he's doing in and through us. And so a fantastic example of that, if, if I could just kind of speak to the parenting aspect of some of the struggles, I know we have a lot of young families, and, and many of you have either potty trained your kids or you're in potty training right now. You know, maybe you're in the diaper phase right now. Diapers to me are the devil. Like, literally, you're talking about, this is, this is the worst phase, like, of, of childhood, because, I mean, they're doing their business in the diaper, and you and I have to take care of it. Like, it's gross. I mean, come on, let's be honest. It is disgusting, and I hate it. So maybe you're in the potty training phase, and you got a little boy. You got a little boy, and you're trying to help him out. You're cheering him on like, you can do it, buddy. And, and so I don't know if you've heard of this tactic before, but people throw, like, Cheerios, you know, in the toilet. And they're going, come on, buddy. You can, like, you can hit the Cheerio. And, like, he's trying. And, you know, it's just, like, everywhere. And, you know, and so, but, like, we try tactics to, to do potty training. There's special seats. There's videos, there's books that you can read. I mean, I've even heard now, you know, the modern thing for parents to do is to give rewards. Like parents will have like packages of M&Ms and they'll give an M&M for going in the potty. Man, if I had rewards, I would have potty trained myself a whole lot earlier. Like I've been like, I'll take the whole bag, mom. Like I don't want just one. Like look, watch this, you know, until you make it happen. And why? 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 Why is that process there? Why do we go so, get so frustrated? It's because it's torture. Potty training children is torture. It's terrible. But we have to trust the process. But in reality, when we take that funny story and example and we apply it to our life, we know it's real, it's deep. And we don't know how it's going to work out, do we? But in that process, we have to truly trust God. Do you have faith in him? Do you trust him as your dad? Do you know that he is your loving father? Do you know that he has your best intention in mind. 
in walking you through this trial that you're experiencing. We've got to know that and experience that as his kids. So I just, if we don't quit, we win. The second thing I want to share with you is that we need to use these trials to draw closer to the Lord. Uh, incredible opportunity for us to see him because in, in a trial, what happens is we usually lose two things. We lose comfort and we lose control. Okay, so we're in the middle of a battle. It's a struggle. It's difficult. We don't feel comfortable and we feel like things are chaotic. And that's very unnerving for us. As human beings, we will, will constantly be seeking some type of security in our life. That's part of our nature. Like, you know, when you talk about putting your hand on the stove, you know, like, it'll burn you, so you don't do it anymore. We don't intentionally do that. You know, if you do, that's a little bit silly. But So we're, we're seeking comfort constantly, and we're looking to have control. But here's what I want to share with you. Both of those things are apart from God. Us seeking comfort and us seeking control are both apart from God because comfort speaks of things being easy, things being safe, having security. Is your security in the things that you're seeking comfort in or do you recognize your eternal security in the Lord? And in control, we're trying to take control of a situation, aren't we? regardless of what's going on, we want to be the ones that determine the direction. So what that is, is what we're trying to do is we're trying to achieve a predictable outcome. Isn't that, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit controlling in my life and I see the situation, I'm going, I know what I want. I know the direction that I want to have. Why? Because I know what it brings. And what happens if, is, and in my life, maybe yours as well, when God says, what if that's not the direction I have for you? Now, now I'm going, Nope, it is. It should be. Like, change your mind, God, because like, I know what's best. And like, I, I'm sure you get that because feeling out of control is chaotic. It's so crazy. And so like, just to, to share a, a very real, tangible answer, uh, example, you know, if we're going to talk about a number of different things you know, regarding finances, that's why people in the church choose not to tithe. They want to have comfort and buy things with that money. They want to have control over their finances and so I just, like, there's plenty of examples that I could give, but, you know, how is it that you and I get closer to the Lord? How do we do that? One of the things is we, we've got to let go of control and give everything over to him and place our security in the Lord. That's really hard to do. Like, I ain't going to lie, it's extremely hard, but we can ask God for help in doing that. It talks about that in the next verse in James 1.5. It says, if you need wisdom... Ask, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And so what he's talking about is like, hey, yes, we can ask for wisdom, but really this is everything. We can ask God for help in every single area of our life. And what God does is he's generous. He's so generous giving those things to us that we ask for because he wants what's best for us. So we've got to pursue after him relentlessly. You know, one of the examples from our life you know, regarding God's generosity, uh, about 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago now, when, when Pastor Nicole and I decided to, to plant Grace Church, and, you know, God was doing incredible things, helping us get back to Melbourne, and we knew this, this is what we we're supposed to do. You know, we, we got a house and that kind of thing. Well, there was a period of about four months where, you know, we're raising money to get the, start, the church started, but the church hasn't started yet. And so if you've ever started a new business, you know you got to raise some capital or you borrow some and, and you get rolling. But there's this, there's this time, there's this the kind of gap where there, there's, no, there's nothing happening yet. And so I remember very clearly, it was the fall of 2009. We had just had our third son, Dex. He was a baby. And we weren't, there was no income. You know, we, we, I had stepped away from my previous position. I, we were getting ready to launch the church, but... We're going, God, you knew that we would be in this financial situation, so what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? So we drew from a little bit of savings and stuff, and, but man, I'll tell you what. I know some of you, you've transitioned jobs before. You've not had a job for a little bit, and you're going, how's this going to work? Like, I don't, I don't know what your story is, but there, there were undeniable things happening for Nicole and I in our house of supernatural provision, where the, where the, the person 
shows up with food. And you go, how did you know? Well, you know, I just you know that you guys are, are doing this, and, and, and you're doing the church, and I just, just wanted to bring this. And you're, you're going, oh, my fridge is empty, and you just showed up with groceries. You know, it's like, it's just reality. And another example that, that we have, which was, you know, and, and this may sound silly to you, but, man, it, it was so tangible and real to us in the moment where I don't think that we bought laundry detergent for months like months and months and months. And we had little kids. We had a baby, infant. Like we're washing stuff all the time. There's puke and like it's gross. And so like literally, it was as if the laundry detergent never ran out. You know, and it's like that passage in First Kings where the oil just never ran out. And it just, it, it was incredible. And so it's undeniable. You know, people could say, oh, you know, that was just you. That was your perspective. You were using less laundry detergent. You could say that all day long, and we would just shake our head and be like, we, we know. Like, it's factual for us how God provided in that time. So when and how we respond in the trial is personal. You know, it, it, it's according to us. And so in that, we can create this intimacy with the Lord because he sees things in us that he wants to stretch and challenge and cause endurance. So it's personal. It's personal between you and God. Because the trial you're in right now is different than the trial I'm in right now. The four that I'm in right now, right? They're different than the four that you're in right now. Because it's personal between me and God. He's trying to do new things in me. So what he's trying to do is create this deeper intimacy and maturity and trust and faith in him alone. And so while we're in the trial, we need to do this third thing. And that's where we stand firm in our faith. Okay, we've got to stand firm, and this comes from verses 6 to 8. It says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. And so there's a few examples in Scripture where this comes out. What this is, is this speaks of being double-minded. So with this double-mindedness where, where James is saying, you've got to you know, be completely in the Lord. Don't look to the world. So what that is, is we're split in our mind. Where does our provision come from? Where is our faith? Is, are we, do we have faith in ourself, in our self-reliance, in our self-righteousness, in who we are? Or is our faith truly in the Lord? Because what happens so many times when we're in a trial we feel uncomfortable, we're seeking out security, and we, we want to keep connected to the world, to the things, to the provision we, where it's, it's the dollars and the money and the things in the bank and, and the things that make us feel you know, settled and, and secure in this situation. But God is saying, hey, I, I need you to be fully reliant upon me in this, ex- in this time, in this season that you're in. And I praise God that our trials are seasons and they do come to a close. As long as we continue to remain faithful and we don't quit, we win. But a great example of this in our lives that we have to recognize is, you know, when, if you've ever, if you have kids or if you're a grandparent, you know, and you're you're teaching your little one how to swim, you know, there's this incredible thing, it's an amazing thing, and if you've seen it at a pool, a public pool, your pool, you know, that you teach your kid how to swim, and, and we all did, we all, we've all done it, you know, I've, I have friends that are single or, you know, college age, and they're like, you know, oh, they're standing in the pool, like, come swim with me, and they're in the pool, and the little child is on the edge of the pool, they're not yet wet, they're standing on the edge, and they've got their tippy toes right there, and, and the person's in the water, they're going, go ahead, and what do we all say? I'll catch you. I promise. And that kid's going, I don't believe you. (laughs) I don't trust you. And they'll lean forward and they'll come back. Why? And so, man, oh, that's our nature, isn't it? We're so cautious, sometimes scared of taking that leap of faith, of trusting our Heavenly Father. Where he's there, he's going, I promise. I promise. And even if it seems deep, I'm here with you. It's incredible what he speaks to us and over us as our loving father. But the problem is, is you and I, like we've been hurt before, haven't we? We've been let down by other people that say, I promise you can trust me. Other people have said that to us and they've done just the opposite. But that's not our heavenly father and who he is. 
And so in this spiritual trial that you're facing, that you're experiencing, I just want to encourage you, sometimes we've got to jump, just jump in faith. You know, we've got to have, be willing to jump in faith because, you know, there's so many examples um, that I know I could share, and I'm sure you could share as well, that in the midst of that trial, when we've remained faithful and been reliant upon the Lord, what happened? It ends up okay, doesn't it? It might not be what we expected, but I guarantee you're closer to God as a result because you saw his hand, his provision, his faithfulness, his healing power, his anointing, the prayers that you prayed for that other person or that situation or your job. He showed himself, and that's amazing, and I know you have examples of that. And there's a great verse that we can cross-reference this with in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. As long as we don't quit, we win. And so that's amazing what we've got to get with the trials and remain faithful in that. And James talks about that in this beginning part of chapter 1. But then he gets into something that's a little bit different. He begins to talk about temptations. And so trials are different than temptations. So every time we're in a trial, we will absolutely be hit and confronted with temptations. No doubt. No doubt, every single time we're in a struggle, we feel uncomfortable, we feel insecure. what happens, that's when the enemy is going to bring a temptation to us. So God is using the trial to mature us, but Satan will use the temptation to try to destroy us. Very different in the nature of who they are. And so God's trying to help us to grow and mature in him, and the enemy is after us to destroy us and, and destroy everything in our life. And so James jumps down to verse 13, and he says, hey, and remember that when you're being tempted, do not say that God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. And so that's why I said earlier that trials happen to us. They happen to us, but temptation, that starts inside of us. That's a challenging statement right there. Temptations start inside of us. Because we always have a choice that we can make that we're faced with when that temptation comes. You and I decide, are we going to succumb to that temptation or are we going to stand firm in our faith and recognize the temptation for what it is? So what I want to do, like as your pastor, I just want to walk you through this because this is a big deal because we're all tempted all the time and in different ways. So here's what I want to share. The fourth thing is that we need to understand the process of temptation. So when we read this verse, right, we get it. God's not able to tempt us. He's perfect and holy and amazing. He will never tempt us. But the, that's what the devil does. So here's what happens in James and continuing in verse 14. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so temptations are enticing. They are. They look good. They're seductive. And let's be honest, sometimes they're even fun. But in the end, when you read these verses, it brings us to destruction and ultimately death. A very simple, if not fun example of this is this game called Bean Boozled. I don't know if you've ever played Bean Boozled before, but it's this jelly bean game. I love jelly beans. You know, just FYI, when next Easter comes, like jelly beans, like come on, this guy. So jelly beans, I'm all about it. So Bean Boozled, though, it'll take this, the same color of jelly bean, but it'll be two completely different things. So what happens is maybe you have this green, right, this, this amazing color green. It's very vibrant and bright, and you go, wow, like I wonder what flavor that is. And it, like, let's say it's green apple, and you go, oh, I love green apple. It's amazing. It's a little tart but a little sweet, and I'm all about it. And well, so in Bean Boozled, the green one is the green apple flavor, but then also it may be something like puke. 
Like, I don't know about you, but when you have that puke come up in your mouth and your throat, you're like, like it's, right now you're going, oh, like it just it makes us nauseous, doesn't it? And so in this game, it's, there's trickery. And, and so what happens is you go, you have to pick the green one, and you don't know. Is it green apple or is it puke? And so that's part of the game. That's how it works. If you haven't ever tried it, like you can. It's fun. You play it with your kids and you laugh and um, let them go first. And oh, I give up. You know, you, you win. Um, but so here's the deal. Here's why I share that. There is a process with temptation. And so the first step in this process is deception. So what the enemy does is he wants to deceive us into thinking something different than what's truly the reality. Is it green apple or is it puke? And this, we see this right at the beginning of Scripture in the book of Genesis. When, when the serpent comes in, who's the devil, and he says very clearly, did God really say? All he's trying to do is bring some doubt, bring some considering, bring some deception, some deceit, some lies, some, hmm, I wonder, what did God really say? So... If we don't have wisdom, like James talks about, that we can ask God for wisdom in our decisions and recognize temptation for what it truly is. If we don't have wisdom, if we don't have maturity, then we are easily deceived. Because why? It looks great. It's wrapped in beautiful wrapping in a bowl, but when, it's, when you open it up and deal with it, you allow it to, to permeate your life, it brings about destruction because it's deceiving. And the problem with deception is we don't know sometimes when we're being deceived. And so we've got to have the maturity and recognize it for truly what it is. So that's the second step that we've got to recognize is what are our desires? Because the enemy's going to bring deception on the desires that you and I have. You know, there's a number of examples, but one of them is lust. Like, what do you and I lust for? Like, lust of the eyes. Like, what, do you, what is it that you see that you long for? Maybe it's sexual lust or physical lust or, or, or things with possessions or like things that you're longing for, desire. Maybe it's greed in your life. Like you, you want to achieve more and, and gain more money, gain more wealth so that you can have more things. Or maybe it's pride. You know, scripture talks about these things very clearly that pride is us, you know, wanting more and looking and, and, and boasting and, and coveting what other people have. And so, you know, those things come in our life. And so what are the desires that you have that the enemy is bringing, he's laying in front of you, and it's, it's deceiving. It's, it's inside of your nature. Because when we fall into those temptations, the third thing happens, and that's disobedience. That's when you and I fall, not just fall into temptation, but we commit the act of sinning. Where we do the thing that is against God's will and his design and what he has led for us in our life. Where we disobey his scripture, his word, what his mandates for us and how we're to live. And then ultimately, the fourth thing is this brings death. You know, and James talked about that in that process. It looks enticing. It looks so great. But in the end, leads to death. Every single one of us, we have felt this. Depending on the magnitude of our sin, sometimes it feels heavier. Sometimes it's lighter. But what this is, is this is the shame. This is the guilt that the devil loads on top of us. And when, when we feel the shame and the guilt, we feel awful, don't we? We feel down. We feel discouraged. We're so disappointed in ourselves. We feel defeated. And so, you know, the first point of this whole message was, if we don't quit, we win. Well, the enemy's talking about death, and he wants us to be defeated where we feel like we lose. And so here's the encouragement, where we can recognize the process of temptation, but that you and I... When we're in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are able to see the sin for what it is. We're able to recognize the temptation and say, you know what? I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to step away. I'm going to deviate. I'm going to recognize and push it away because we're no longer dead. Like that death that James is talking about, we're not dead. We're alive in Christ. We've been risen anew, and so that's amazing. So we're alive in him and who he is. But we've got to realize how serious this is because we often just play with sin, don't we? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Let's be real with ourselves. Like, we, we just, we'll dabble in a little bit of sin here. I'm like, ah, it's not that bad. Let dabble a little bit there. We let it in our life, the things we watch, the things we say, like the things we participate in, the thoughts, the things on our screen. Well, ah, it's not that bad. And so here, James talks about that. He says in verse 16, he says, hey, don't be misled. 
my dear brothers and sisters. He's bringing in the deception again. He's bringing in the double-minded. Don't, don't be misled by what's in front of you. Don't be deceived. And so I want to encourage you. The best thing that you could do is just be honest with the fact that we have a sinful nature. Where we're just honest before the Lord, totally transparent, and say, God, I struggle. God, I, you know the things that I struggle with. You know where I battle. You know the things that the, te- the temptations that constantly are in front of me. How am I going to deal with this? How, 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 God, I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need your wisdom in this because in our humility, God meets us in that place, and he's the one that gives us the ability to stand firm in our faith. And then there's other things that we can do as well. As we cry out to the Lord for help, we also can ask for help from other people. That's why here at Grace Church, we have connection groups. So the, the, the tagline we use is that we're better together. I know when I'm in tight relationships with other people, people that I can look in the eye, and I know that they care about me, and they know that I care about them, and I say, man, I'm in this struggle right now, and they get it, and we encourage each other. Because oftentimes, when, when we're facing temptation or we fall into sin, we feel like we're on the defensive, don't we? How many times have you, like dealing with the shame and the guilt, have you felt alone? Like you're, you're, you feel just oppressed and down and so discouraged. And so what happens is we think we're defensive, but in fact, the opposite is true. We're actually overcomers. We're actually able to stand firm in our faith and have victory in this, but we've got to understand the process at which the enemy uses temptation and puts it in front of us. Because then we can do the fifth thing, where we can use that temptation as an area for growth. I hope that this is an encouragement to you, because what I want you to do right now is I want you to learn to be an overcomer. Because some of you are walking in defeat right now. That guilt and that shame is like baggage that you're dragging around. It's like an anchor that's holding you down. It's sucking you below the waterline. And you're like trying to gasp for, for, for air, but like that anchor, like that, it's just holding you down so bad. And so you've got to learn to be an overcomer, to cut the ties to those anchors so you can come up. And so to me, what that is, is the, the first thing we, we've got to recognize who God really is. Like who is God? What is God's nature? So in James in verse 17, he continues, he says, whatever is good. And perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who's created all lights and heavens, for he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And so James brings in this understanding of light and dark. You know, it's easy for us to go, you know, sin is dark. You know, that's the shadows, you know, because we feel down. Um, And then he brings in this aspect of light. But the thing that's interesting in the process of you and I becoming overcomers, light always has to, always dominates darkness, doesn't it? If this room were completely dark and I simply like struck a match or I took my phone out and I did my, my, my phone light, it would light up this room enough where you and I would be able to see. And so darkness always has to give way to light. I want to um, share something a, a little bit personal uh, if that's okay, you know, regarding, you know, temptation. And um, so just a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream, uh, middle of the night type dream. You know, I, I like to go to bed early, sometimes 10 or 11, sleep. I'll, I'll get up somewhere around 5, 5.36, whatever. And so this was, you know, right, right at like, I woke up at 5.22 a.m. So I had this dream and I knew it was a spiritual dream. Some dreams, you know, our brain is processing and we get that, you know, I, no problem. But this one, it was different, and I knew it. So in this dream, I was in my office. Uh, like I was in my office, you know, at, at the church office, and I was doing my thing, right? And, and, and in the dream, there was a hole in the floor. I was like, okay, you know, a hole in the floor, that's odd, isn't it? So it's a dream, hole in the floor, there's things, you know, going on. And then all of a sudden, I see a black snake, like, slither in the hole. I mean, automatically... You know, those of you that are scared of snakes, you're going, ah, like, I'm out of that office so fast, right? And so I recognize the black snake in the hole, and the dream is continuing. I'm in the office, and then the black snake comes up out of the hole and tries to attack me, tries to come and, like, bite at me. And, and I like, even me saying this dream out loud, you now are visualizing an office 
with a hole in the floor and a snake that's coming up out to try and attack me. And the thing that was interesting was, as the snake tried to come up and come at me, I actually stepped towards the snake. I went on the offensive to attack the snake too. Isn't it interesting? I was going, whoa, and, and, I, and I woke up, you know, in, in that instant. And so there's several things that I want to talk about, I want to share in this dream. One, it was spiritual in nature, and I knew it, because I actually woke up with fear. You ever wake up with fear from a dream like that? Like, what, God, what are you trying to say? What, what? So I felt that. I felt afraid in that moment because of the snake and what was going on. Now, the second thing I want to share is the black snake obviously represents the devil. You know, it represents Satan and him coming after me. And the thing that I love about in this dream that I didn't shy away in fear, I actually stepped towards the snake because I believe that I'm an overcomer. I, I, I'm a warrior. I'm a stud. And so I'm going after the snake, you know, in this dream. And I'm like, yes, way to go. But there's another piece that I want to share with you. And this is kind of where it gets a little bit vulnerable. Um, as I prayed... You know, I, 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 God, what are you saying? What are you showing? I had to take notice that there was a hole in the floor. My office, I love church, love my calling. I know the snake, I get it. There's a hole in the floor. Um, and that's the area of temptation that you and I face. So... As I began to pray, I'm like, God, you got to show me what the hole is. I've got to deal with this. Uh, and he did, and he spoke to me, showed me very clear. And so the reason I share this dream with you is because my guess is there's probably a hole in the office floor at your place too. And I say that not out of condemnation, guilt, judgment, because I love you. What's the hole in the floor that you're facing right now because the enemy's there and he's just waiting for an opportunity to come up and to come after you. So I'm, I'm not trying to be weird or like hyper-spiritual or whatever because the, the whole book of James is very practical. And so what we've got to recognize is that like there's a process, right? So what's the whole? So to me, let's, let's just kind of look at ourselves right now. So what we've got to do is we've got to be able to one, cover up the hole, so, or avoid the hole. You know, sometimes we've got to learn to avoid it and then deal with it and address it. So what is it, where is it, who is it that brings that temptation in your life? The things you do, the things you say, the decisions you make. We've got to recognize to avoid the temptation or the person. Then we counter with the word of God. I see the hole. I know it's there. I know what it is. And what am I saying to the hole? What am I, how am I addressing? So to me, it's like, God, you know my thoughts. You know what, who I am as a man. God, you've got to help me recognize this for what it is. That you would help me bring out the plywood and some nails and cover that bad boy up. And so then as a result of dealing with that and avoiding and, and addressing and, and covering it up, we've got to develop the relationships around us where there's somebody else. Where we go, hey, you see that plywood with that nails right there? I just had to pound that into the floor because I struggle in this particular area. And as the church, we support each other and we encourage each other and we pray. And, and sometimes, you know, we just, sometimes we got to grab our hammer and we got to pound nails into that plywood with our friend that's in our group or, you know, that we know in this church. Sometimes you got to get down and, and, and have those real true conversations. And then we commit that to prayer. And so we're praying and pursuing, you know, pursuing after the Lord. But then I, I want to encourage you also. So then the, the final thing is like we've got to live in victory, okay? We, we, you and I, let's be, we have patches of plywood all over the floor. Where are the victories that you've experienced already? So now address the one that's there that the snake's in, cover it up, and celebrate the victory. And here's why. In verse 18, it's because he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. 
The way God sees you, how you're special, you're amazing. When we're in Christ, we're reborn. Our spirit is renewed in the Lord. We're given the Holy Spirit, you know, upon conversion. And we can be full of the Spirit. We can receive water baptism and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so when those things take place, the, the, the devil has no power over us. None. No power whatsoever of us. And so if we don't quit, we win, we persevere, we endure, we face the trials, and our faith grows. We face the temptations and recognize them for what they are, and we don't fall into the temptation that, we've now, uh, that we now see. We cover it up, and we deal with it, and we dress it with the Lord's word, and we walk in victory. And so I hope that you get that. I hope that you understand that. But what I want to do in closing this message is I know that there's probably a number of you, you're going, yeah, that temptation part, whew, it's heavy. It's hard. You talk about the hole in the floor. Like, I know. I get it. And so what I want to do right now is I, I want to create just this, just this attitude in, uh, of the Lord's presence being here. And what's amazing is you and I can come before the Lord as sinners. He knows we're sinners. He knows our temptation. He knows all the things that you've ever done. So the best thing you and I can do is have this honest communication we call it prayer. You know, talking to God, exposing those, and helping him to help you move forward. And so right now we're going to deal with the guilt. We're going to deal with the shame. We're going to deal with the sin. And it's going to be amazing. And you're going to feel free. You're going to feel liberated. So the way this works is where you and I can communicate to the Lord. And, and there's this amazing word in Scripture. It's called repentance. And so what that is, is it literally means a turning around. So I'm heading in a certain direction. So let's call it towards the hole, towards our sin, towards the, the areas of temptation. And we turn around. So then what happens is all those things are now behind us and we head towards the Lord. That's what repentance is. So where in your life do you need to repent? Where you, you're, you're honest with the Lord. He said, this is what I need to change. And we ask for forgiveness. For those of us that are in Christ... You know, we're washed clean because of Jesus' blood and, you know, his death and resurrection. That's amazing. You know, we get to receive that forgiveness. And so here's what I want to speak over you. Just the same way Jesus rose from the dead and came out of the grave, you and I are now alive in Christ. And we don't have to fall into the death and the grave that sin gives us. We can come out of that and become alive in him. And so if right now, with wherever you're at in the auditorium, if you could just pause and, and look at your life, if, if, it, if it helps, you can close your eyes and, and just kind of look at that. Have this communication with the Lord, you know, and who He is. If you have a, a personal prayer language, you can use that. And you're, you're focusing on Him and, and, and pursuing after Him, being honest. And so one of the things that I want to do is I want to take a moment and just share with you, if you're not yet following Christ that's the first step okay I've been talking about being with Jesus and asking for forgiveness but it's very clear you and I we, we literally have to turn our life over to the Lord and so in scripture that it's called salvation where you and I are saved uh, it, it, it says that our, we we experience this rebirth and what happens is our spirit is sinful we commit sins we do it's reality so, but what happened is Jesus died for us in our sins so that we could be made whole and renewed and restored. But you and I, we have to commit to follow him. We have to acknowledge that we need a savior, somebody to save us from our sin and the death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Showed his power, his divinity over sin and death. He was perfect in every way. And so this amazing transaction happens when you and I see that and recognize ourselves for who we really are. And we look to Jesus and we go, I need you. I can't do it. And so right now in this moment, if that's you, if you know, whether you're here in the auditorium or you're watching online, if you know that you need to commit your life to follow Christ, now is that moment. And so I know this is a big deal. But what I'm going to ask right now is if you would put your hand up say you know what that's me go ahead right now in the auditorium if you go yeah that's me I need Jesus and I know I need it bad thank you so much for putting your hand up go ahead anybody else 
You know, if you're watching online, you can, you can raise the hand emoji, like whatever it is for your connection with God. It's like, hey, that's me. I need that. I need you. I'm tired of trying on my own. And so what I want to do is I want to pray right now, and you can pray along with me, and then I'll pray just a general prayer for all of us for repentance and forgiveness. And you can join in with me for that prayer as well. So if you raise your hand or you know you need to make a commitment to follow Christ, pray with me right now. Maybe just you say to yourself, maybe say, God, I know I need you. God, thank you so much for sending your son. Jesus, I recognize that you are perfect in every way. And you're amazing. And right now, I commit to follow after you. Would you set me free from my old ways? Would you help me to have this newness in life? Lord, I absolutely confess my sins, my struggle, the battle that I've faced and lost. But I ask in the newness that you give to me, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you forgive me for all the things that I've ever done? All of them. Would you remove shame and guilt and doubt that I might be an overcomer, that I might walk in victory, that you would make me new, that you would make, help me to have a fresh start and a new beginning in you. And Father, I do want to just pray this powerful, significant prayer of repentance for so many of us where we've allowed this sinful lifestyle to remain. I just, I, I speak out repentance over us in Jesus' name. Lord, we cry out to you. We need you. We're desperate for you. Help us to turn from our wicked ways and pursue after you. Jesus, that you would bring forgiveness, forgiveness in our lives right now, that you would wash us clean. There's this amazing thing that takes place when we, when we use soap and we wash with shampoo and soap and our body and washing and water, like it washes over us and makes us clean. And thank you, Jesus, that you do that because of your blood, because of the, the price that you paid. We get to experience that. And so we declare our need for forgiveness. Would you set us free from those things, recognizing the temptation that we might walk in victory for who you are. We give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.